Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Elect 825. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, uh, the games may have stopped, but there's still plenty going on in the sports world. You know, there was a time when you used to ask me, so did you watch Thursday Night You'd Football? You'd kill for Thursday Night Football I would. right now. Yeah, I would. would. For the first time, I will readily admit that I'll take any sport, and that includes it. You know, I was going to look. So I brought I in a few it? books here in studio. Um, I got them from um, my for my oh, new just give me one. For my new son, Adam. Yeah. Um, they, they were gotten by his grandparents, uh, my dad and his, and his wife, and uh, it was very nice of them, but... Uh, Phillies 101, my first team board book, and the ABC alphabet book of the Eagles. So the the Eagles one, maybe we can talk to Dave Spadaro about this. Y- you can ask minutes. him. You can ask him about that. Yeah. But so you know, that's I'm taking the time with my family, and I'm I'm reading my sports books with my son, and I'm outside playing t-ball. Uh, you, on the other hand, are finding new college teams to root for because <laughs> congratulations, your son is going to be going to Boulder, Colorado, correct? Yeah, that means I got to stay up to watch Pac-12 football and yeah, basketball. Yeah, you met her. And, and and we all know that me staying up late is not a sign for a success. Yeah, right? you better take a power nap. Dave Spadaro, do you have any faith that Jeff Cohen will stay up for West Coast games um, <laughs> time zone for his Colorado Buffaloes uh, now that his son's going there? I have none. Graduated from uh, CU Boulder uh, last year in 2019. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, so it's a gr- an amazing. I mean, you've been to the campus, I'm sure, right? Uh huh. Oh, they went out and did a tour. Um, they had a good old time. Jeff yeah, Jeff has lived vicariously ha- through we his have, son for the last not, year of tours. We have not met Ralphie personally, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they just replaced Ralphie. I think uh-huh. they have a new Ralphie. Yeah, actually, uh, but it's an amazing campus. Um, my daughter went to specifically get into the snowboard business Ooh. as a journalism major which is like the worst nobody no nobody wants to hear that their kids are a journalism major <laughs> but uh she made it work and she's she really worked hard and she had a great time out there and she's living in utah now so and didn't break any bones really well for her. and didn't break any bones snowboarding she broke she broke her collarbone oh. uh two years ago yeah. yeah well at least jeff didn't so, jinx it it but, already happened yeah. He's got that touch. So I was, I was showing Jeff, uh, I got uh, books. For, I have a, a son that's two weeks old, and people are sending us gifts. And we got a hey, congratulations. Thank you. And appa- uh, apparently his kid can already read because they're, they're giving him books. We have the Eagles ABC alphabet book. So, you know, just because we don't have everything going on, even though the NFL went crazy this week with free agency, um, I am still teaching my children about football and we're going through it all. So well, we, but he, but here's the here's it was, the it was a welcome diversion. Welcome Absol- diversion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wrote the I, I wrote the and make sure you listen. I wrote the after the Super Bowl victory. I wrote the official Eagles picture book, Ooh. which tells you a lot about my writing ability. <laughs> writing a picture book. <laughs> Look, uh, those those are the kind of books that I read. Okay, so it tells well, you, you know, about I'm my reading ability. Exactly right. it, it has an alphabetically and under I, it does not say Eagles Insider. So they're going to have to revise there this you book. Go. They'll have to. Advise, it has revise. interception and I formation as the eyes. Well, we okay. we figured <laughs> we would turn to our Eagles Insider and get your take on the start of free agency. Lots of moves with this team this week. Uh, What's your review of everything you saw happen? Well, first of all, uh, hoping that everybody is safe and ha- healthy out there and, and taking care of themselves. That's what's important. The, the NFL in the last week here um, has been a welcome diversion. I think people would agree. Yes. And uh, first with, with passing the collective bargaining agreement, which is huge, labor peace through the 2030 season makes everyone very happy. Um, so that got done over the weekend. And then, when, when free agency began, I mean, for the Philadelphia Eagles, 
going out and getting two impact players for the defense, I can tell you the team is really, really happy to begin the offseason that way. A lot of work to be done, but I think they feel really good that they've actually gone out and gotten two impact players. The, the first of those impact players is Darius Slay. What's your assessment of how he fits into what the Eagles want to do on defense? I, I think it's it, – look, we all watch this team give up the most big plays in the past game in the NFL last year. They So, to me, I always look, say – I always start at the, at the defensive line. If you're dominating the defensive line, you're going to be much better in the back end. Um, but clearly – so we'll we'll start with Slay first. Eagles address both of those areas. Darius Slay, three straight seasons in the Pro Bowl, uh, plays with a lot of emotion, goes and gets the football. I believe that he was worn down by the losing in Detroit. You know, we had seen him a couple of times. I guess when Chip Kelly and the Eagles were out there in what was it 2014 or 15, and Slay had a big interception. Uh, to or was it was it Carson Wentz? I forget when it was, but he had a big interception to kind of end the Eagles' opportunities on the road in Detroit. And then this year in 2019, uh, Week Three, big big performance against the Eagles until he hurt his hamstring. But I, I mean, he's the kind of player that we uh, have been asking the Eagles to get for many years. Now they went out and got Namdi Asimov. They went out and got Byron Maxwell. No, Those please, please don't, really please don't put him in well, that category. Yeah, I understand, but they, 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 were two, they were two players who, who weren't really great fits, their skill set for what the defense was doing. Here, Jim Schwartz was the head coach in Detroit. He drafted Slay. Yeah. He knows Slay. He knows how to work Slay in the system. So it's a, it's, he's able to I – I don't know if Jim's going to have Slay chase around the number one wide receiver. That's really not been his M.O. over the years. But it gives somebody who the Eagles can match up against a speed receiver, a size receiver, an outside receiver, an inside receiver. He's 29 years old. He's coming to a winning culture. He's coming to a football-crazed city. Um, He's got a lot of personality. I think he's going to really feel very rejuvenated, reinvigorated, born again. Uh, I think he's as excited as you could possibly be to be a Philadelphia Eagle. Great deal. At the expense of two draft picks that you don't like to give away, but the Eagles still have eight. So they feel like, hey, uh, it's, it's a well worth the investment to get a player who is at the top of his game, at the top of the NFL game, at that very critical position. It doesn't seem like we've had somebody that, that covers man like this in a long time. Since 2015, he leads the NFL in pass breakups with 82. Last year, he only allowed three touchdowns on 93 targets, most of the time in man-to-man coverage. Him coming in allowed them to have another domino fall and, and move Jalen Mills to the safety position and not bring back Malcolm Jenkins. Your thoughts on what the defensive backfield will now look like with Jalen Mills there and Malcolm not there before we get to the defensive line, obviously, that will impact that all. Yeah, I think that's still um, a work in progress to the, in the sense that they went out and got Mills, re- re-signed him for the year. Now, fans have to understand this. Jalen is taking the role of what Malcolm did. Now, Malcolm played a lot of, a lot of snaps as a quasi-linebacker, close to the line of scrimmage, didn't have to cover in space. Uh, I will say nothing ever bad about Malcolm Jenkins. I give him so much credit for what he's done in Philadelphia. Uh, and the Eagles really were able to continue 
to use him effectively when he doesn't run as well as he used to. I mean, I think that's just a fact. If you're putting somebody out there in space like Malcolm, he's going to get victimized. And so what they did was they crept him up to the line of scrimmage and put him in a position where he could rely on his tackling, cover short areas, support against the run, blitz at times. He did a great job. And I think Jalen will do a similar job. Probably needs to put on a little bit of muscle, which he'll do in the offseason. Certainly knows the defense. They're cross-trained. Uh, you don't rely on Jalen to run in space as much as he has in the past. So it's an interesting move. I don't think they're done addressing cornerback. I don't think they're done addressing linebacker. And, you know, a safety position, they've got Rodney McLeod back for two years, along with Jalen. They can play Avante Maddox back there. They've got their eyes open in free agency. You know, they've got Rudy Ford and, and Mar- uh, Marcus Epps and some younger players. So that's why I say it's a work in progress. Still undetermined who the other starting cornerback will be. It could be Russell Douglas. It could be Sidney Jones. It could be Maddox. You know, we'll see how that all plays. It could be a draft pick. But I think the Eagles addressed uh, the secondary, a huge area of need, retaining two key players in Mills and in McLeod and adding the big playmaker in Darius Slay. You also mentioned how important it is to have the front line be solid. And the other move that they made on defense was Javon Hargrave, who they signed to a three-year, $39 million deal. Uh, another Drew Rosenhaus client by chance. What do you think of that move and how that impacts the front of the defense? Matching him up with Fletcher Cox there. Yeah. yeah. So, in the, you know, we all look. I, I, I've gone into the offseason saying that the biggest need the Eagles had was defensive end. I think you need to rush the quarterback. You've got to disrupt his rhythm. You can't give him time to set up and throw the ball down the field against a vulnerable secondary. And so there's not really any really difference-making edge rushers out there. And the Eagles have a slew of young ones. And they've got a new defensive line uh, coach. So you hope that behind Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham, some of these young kids will develop in 2020. In the meantime, what you do is you make it as robust as possible at defensive tackle. You try to destroy the interior of offensive lines. And in Javon Hargrave, they have that kind of player to team with Fletcher Cox and Malik Jackson, keep everybody fresh, physical, relentless, He's had 10-and-a-half quarterback sacks the last two years. So as a nose tackle, that's an unbelievable number to get to the quarterback. A young player, up-and-coming. Eagles feel like this will be kind of a Brandon Brooks signing. We didn't know a whole lot about Brandon Brooks when he came to the Eagles in 2016. He's been a Pro Bowl right guard. Houston Texans wish they'd never let him go, but the Eagles glad to get him. So they identify a young, ascending player, who will probably be a better fit in this takeoff and get up the field kind of scheme than he was in Pittsburgh, than the scheme he played in Pittsburgh when he was still very successful. I think the Eagles feel that from the interior of the defensive line out, they are now a dominating group. And so if you make a dominating group up front, one that was already among the best teams in the league at stopping the run, you know, you've really made the defense a whole lot better. Still work to be done. I know that Eagles fans, they need linebackers. Always going to keep your eyes open for defensive backs. Always going to keep your eyes open for pass rushers. But they added two big-time impact defensive players. Seems like on the other side of the ball, um, you know, we're, we're heading into a draft that everybody says is extremely deep at wide receiver. Um, no, nothing in free agency there. Saw a couple running backs go: Jordan Howard and Corey Clement. 
It looks like towards the end of the season, they felt comfortable with what they had in the backfield. On the offensive side, do you you see wide receiver as something that they're going to now turn their focus to a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. They, they, I mean, look, I think the first priority is to, and look, we don't even know when this thing's going to start up again, right? Mm-hmm. We're all keeping our fingers crossed, hoping that there's a, an off season, hoping that there's a training camp and that the regular season begins on time. And we just draft. don't know. Will there be a, will and there a draft? Definitely be know, a draft yeah, they'll, they'll, yeah, yeah, I think there definitely is going to be a draft. It'll just be the old way, you know, no fans. It'll be... Uh, call in TV. It'll be a TV production. I, I wonder if it's more it's interactive, be. taking fans inside because it is a made-for-TV production only this year to try to get more yeah. eyeballs on it. I just wonder whether they try to yeah. do that from a media standpoint. Well, I think they have to. They've got to get fans. I mean, look, I think fans are going to watch. We saw <clears throat> the amount of interest that everybody's put into this week, and I think they, everybody enjoyed the diversion of the NFL free agency period. But yeah, I think they'll have a draft and. The details being worked out as we speak, but wide receiver, look, you've 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 got to believe that Deshaun Jackson comes back healthy. Can you get 16 games out of him? History says that's a challenge. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, his last game he played, December 1st, uh, nine catches, 137, a touchdown against the Dolphins. I know everything that's going on with Alshon. I think the first priority is to get him healthy. I, I, I've got to believe, guys, that every single person in this world is going to emerge from this, and hopefully it's quickly, and hopefully we're all healthy, mm-hmm. and say, boy, I really am thankful for what I have. And you come back and you, and you conduct yourself in life that way. And um, for a player like Alshon, who, I mean, his history has been one that's a bit unsettled, certainly in Chicago, you know, you hope that he comes back and really plays with vigor and love for the game and really enjoys it. So you you start there at wide receiver, but certainly, look, there's a need. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside needs to get a whole lot better. If the offseason is shortened, that's a player who really gets hurt by it all because he's somebody who needs reps, needs to build confidence. New wide receiver coach in Aaron Moorhead. Greg Ward needs to have more reps at the slot receiver position. Some of these younger receivers on this team, they need those reps in the spring. Uh, they may not get them. We'll see. But it certainly is a group that you go, all right, you know, you guys had a playoff last year with this group. You get back to Sean, you get back Alshon. You certainly go into a draft understanding that potentially this is one of the deepest, most talented drafts at the wide receiver position in recent years. And so I would expect the Eagles to very strongly consider high in the draft, perhaps adding to that wide receiver position. Well, a couple days ago, I would have told you that there was a team in the AFC South or NFC South that that would not be a competitor of the Eagles to to contend for the, <laughs> the, the the championship. What is your what are your thoughts on Tom Brady now signing a two year deal with Tampa Bay and and supposedly all these free agents calling Tampa Bay looking to play with him? Yeah, I I, uh, I will tell you that I was very surprised. I thought Tom would end his career in New England. Clearly not pleased with whatever, I don't know, certainly not six Super Bowls, you know, great lineage. They tutored him. They brought him from a sixth round draft pick to the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. Not good. It'll enough. be really fascinating to see. <laughs> well, we'll see how he goes outside of that system. We'll see. When, I wonder how when he fits with, with Bruce Arians. Yeah. He's, he's not generally yeah. the, the deep ball guy. 
And exactly, you know, that's a vertical passing game with with weapons with out there that want to go deep. Mm-hmm. I just I wonder how that fit ends up working out there. Yeah, they, they're very talented at wide receiver. Um, look, we saw Joe Montana's career end, yeah, you know, in a less than stellar fashion. We've we've seen it happen throughout all of the sports. Uh, certainly spices up the NFC South. The t- TV package will be Tampa Bay is a hot team now. Um, Tom has a lot to prove. Uh, again, though, if your short if your off season is shortened, your chemistry is is uh, not built on the field. It'll I think teams are going to go after Tom. He's not mobile. They better build up that offensive line in a big, big way. But they certainly have a lot of weapons. And you know what? Good for Tampa Bay. Breathes life into a franchise that has been down for a number of years. Uh, but uh, we will find out. We've always talked about the Patriots in this dynasty of the greatest quarterback and the greatest head coach. They're separated for the first time. We'll see which one maybe truly is the greatest because uh, it's always a great to win as a team and as a tandem. And when you separate that, hey, you got to stand on your own. The Eagles were the last team to beat him in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Eagles were the last team to beat him in the Super Bowl. That's exactly right. Something that we will never forget. Nope. So, now, so now we have all this musical quarterback. So now, now that we've talked about Tom Brady, the question is if you had to guess – if you had to put money down, if the odds makers were open right now. You're asking now, the Eagles insider exactly. about outside the Where Eagles. would Jameis Winston end up now? Not Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Oh, gosh, no way. Um, <laughs> uh, where will Jameis Winston? Who, who needs a quarterback out there? Maybe uh, the Chargers? San Diego. But, but I think they're going to yeah. go with Tyrod Taylor and then draft a quarterback. I, I don't know if they yeah, want to take on that headache. Yeah, it's well, he's really talented. He's one of those, he's, do you want to tame the wild the wild bronco can you and, if you um, can can you i don't yeah. know i don't i really don't know and you don't want to go somewhere where there's lots of crab legs either in. easy <laughs> easy <laughs> so I, I i don't know but a very talented kid baltimore. and maybe it's a dose of humble pie baltimore uh, Nah, he's not he's not going no i only said that because of the crab legs i did want to i did want to <laughs> ask you legs, one so. more eagles question um austin, yeah, hooper, sure, as you want. austin hooper signed a, a big deal this week four years 42 million dollars with the browns uh, what do you think the impact that is on Zach Ertz? He's signed through 2021. Uh, obviously, you know, one of Wentz's favorite targets going to come up on a contract pretty soon. Your thoughts on how that impacts his negotiations? Yep. <clears throat> I'm not sure what that does. I think that George Kittle and Travis Kelsey impact that, that those three will redefine the tight end market. I think I, I'm interested to see that not only that, but you know, the Eagles have Dallas Goddard who they like very much. And, He's two years in the league. 2020 will be his third year. 2021 will be his fourth and final season of his rookie contract. So um, it is, it's a lot to think about. And, you, you know, this offense is built to a large degree around both of those tight ends. They want both of those players in the mix on the field together. And uh, I think everybody appreciates that Zach in a very short period of time here is going to zoom right past Harold Carmichael for the most receptions in the history of the Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 hero. Um, Eagles generally find a way to keep their own. Uh, We've already had two contracts here with Zach. Would love to see a third. But at the moment, I think the Eagles have more pressing needs, limited cap space. I'm not sure that Zach Ertz gets a new deal in this, you know, short window that we're looking at between now and the start of 2020 season. I I just don't know how you can do it with the numbers the Eagles are juggling within that salary cap. 
The Eagles are bringing back Nate Sudfeld on a one-year deal. Is backup quarterback a pressing need for these Eagles, or is Nate Sudfeld going to yeah, be I backup? Think, yeah, I think you still keep your eyes open. Maybe you draft somebody. It's only a one-year deal. You've got Kyle Lalletta, who you want to take a look at, from Richmond, played with the Giants for a year on the practice squad last season. I think you kind of keep your eyes open there, and you hope Nate continues to develop. A tough break for him last year, literally, when he suffered the wrist injury in the preseason. Uh, he had been playing pretty well coming along as a backup. But, look, I, I think we all see that Carson – and we, the, the biggest issue here is getting keeping Carson healthy for the duration of the regular season and the postseason. You know, that's, he's got to be more diligent staying out of harm's way. Didn't do it against the Seattle Seahawks in the playoffs. And whether you believe that Jadavian Clowney's hit was a cheap shot or not, the fact is Carson was in a vulnerable spot. And you can't put yourself in that position. But I think you keep your eyes open there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, if you can draft somebody and have a little security for four years, uh, you do that. Um, there are some talented quarterbacks in this draft. will be really interesting to see where the Eagles go with eight draft picks, with some obvious needs, offensive line. You know, they lose a couple of players here with Vitae moving on, with Jason Peters, a free agent. So there is some depth questions. There is some front-line questions. Is Andre Dillard ready to be the starter at left tackle? Uh, all of that comes in the weeks to follow. Well, we definitely look forward to following. We wish you best of health. Everybody take care. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see when things get, get back to normal and, and have you back on as, as things go forward. Always appreciate the time, Dave. Take care of yourself. Okay, guys. My pleasure. Stay safe. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and um, uh, have a great weekend. Sounds good. Talk to you soon, Dave. Um, I like the the Eagles moves this week. Uh, I don't I don't totally understand everything they're doing. Yeah, with uh, everything else going on, the one thing I can you can count on is that Dave definitely made Eagles fans fans feel better. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean he always gives you the positive. No, side but I'm, I'm, I'm I always look. I I've heard that before, but he's a straight shooter. He is, and and, and, and he knows. And I think he what, knows he exactly knows what the they sense need. of the organization in yeah. terms of what their plans mm -hmm. are, and so you know. I, I, I like that he said that they're not done with that defensive backfield because I, I do have some concerns with Jalen Mills as the replacement to Malcolm Jenkins, if that's what you're looking for. That's a big role to fill. And Dave mentioned— I thought it was interesting that he said that he has to bulk up. Well, Dave mentioned that Malcolm played that occasional-type linebacker mm -hmm. position, and that's more what concerns me about Mills than his ability to be a hitter. It's his ability to cover those bigger guys and to, to take the linebacker on like Malcolm could do because they don't have the linebacker core. You lost Camus Grugier Hill this week as well. Mm -hmm. Say so, that 10 times fast. I got it out, though. I know. I You were impressed. L l luckily, the, You're this, impressed, is, this is audio only because the, the look on your face is you were struggling I to get that out. I was just as surprised as you that I didn't <laughs> screw that up. I'll, I'm willing to admit that. Oh, pop quiz. Ready? Yes. Navy head coach. Oh, Ken Niamatololo. There you go. Yeah. See, I've got that. You I, are a true professional. I, I did it just fine, except uh -huh. for when we were talking to him. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring <laughs> I, that up. <laughs> I made sure to embarrass myself well. Let's talk about some of the other moves in the NFL um, this week. There were. Lots of players. By the, way, by the way, before we get there, the draft. Yes. So if I were the NFL, here's what I would do. I would go back to the draft from like 35, 40 years ago, back in my day, with the old phones the helmet phones okay have them sit at their desk have each you can you can spice it up by having them each in their own location but have them each with their own helmet which is a phone i would make it like real world and, and, and have would, them all on camera the, no i would time. have the old but i would have the old scratchy you know with the way tv looked back then <laughs> I, I would go as old school as you can 
Yeah, you're not dating yourself at all. No, <laughs> I think it would be fun. Actually, if I retro w- is in, I want them to bring back the All Star Home Run Derby thing yeah. show that there used to be. The players can practice. Social oh well, distance. if you're gonna do that, why don't you get the 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 big metal thing that vibrates with the little football players? There on you it. go. Yeah, you okay, let's too? talk about. It. So Cam Newton doesn't seem to want to leave the Panthers, <laughs> even if he wants to leave the Panthers. But well, he's but not he, saying they have that a problem. The Panthers signed another quarterback. They signed Teddy Bridgewater, and Newton says that he's been given permission to seek a trade, even though he wasn't looking for permission to That's seek right. a trade. He <laughs> says, which is funny how that as, works. As he pointed out on his Twitter account, uh, other quarterbacks moving around on the. Carousel. Drew Brees stays with the Saints. Philip Rivers. You don't moving. understand this deal going to the Colts. No, I really don't. I, I don't understand. Look, Philip Rivers is a lifelong Chargers guy. He he he's from the South. I mean, he went to NC State. He's got a a boatload of kids. I don't even know what he's up to already. And he had them. He was complaining that he didn't want to play the team to move to L.A. because it was too far to be away from his family. So he doesn't. He leaves the Chargers. He moves his family to to Florida, and then he signs a one year deal to go to any Indianapolis. You know what other deal I found well, weird? What does that mean? Are they, uh, did did he just agree that they're going to draft a quarterback and he's going to groom him? Because why would you sign a one year deal? Unless he's trying to prove himself coming off of last season. Because I can tell you from having he's him on my... almost as old... Look, I can tell you from having him on my fantasy football team yeah. that I started Jameis Winston over him. That's all you need to know about the season that Philip Rivers had Do you know who year. the other quarterbacks that were drafted at the same time as him? Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. He and says Eli Manning, healthy. who retired. Yes. So what would you sign a one-year deal at the age of 40 to prove yourself? Uh, What's he going to do? Get a seven-year deal after that? I was surprised Marcus Mariota going to the Raiders. Yeah, that was uh, that. That's a. But see, this is what John Gruden does. He brings up in a bunch of not top-flight quarterbacks and thinks he's going to be a genius and turn them into that. And when has he been successful doing that? Well, he's going to get Johnson? another chance. The Nick Foles era is over in Jacksonville, headed to or, the Bears. Or you could say it started in, in uh, <laughs> Chicago. It started and in And apparently Chicago. Mitch Trubisky is no longer the answer in Chicago. Huh? Joe Flacco out there as a free agent now, cut by the Broncos. Yeah, but didn't they say he failed a physical? Wasn't that he, part of the deal that they said? If you're a team looking for a backup, do you take him to groom somebody? Or do you not think that that's... You, you got, got well. That's only if you could have had okay. Chase Daniels, who went to the Lions. Chase Daniels, who went to the Lions on a three-year any, deal. Has any quarterback? He's made a career out of being more a backup. Th- he. I don't think he's ever even been in the running to be a starting quarterback. But during apparently, his he's an amazing coach. Oh well, then make players. him a coach. Well, I think he will be. Wait, a wait, coach. wait. Who did he coach? No, what, he, what are you, you going to give him credit for for Mahomes? Um, the no, the players that he has worked with, yeah. he has helped to teach them how to be a professional. Okay. Apparently, he used to work with Drew Brees at this, and mm-hmm. so Brees's way of doing it is you always work a day ahead. So if your team's on Tuesday, you're on Wednesday. If right. team, so he has taught young so quarterbacks. Why, so why not just bring him back to Baltimore and he can continue and he can I groom su- Lamar Jackson? I was honestly surprised they didn't try to bring him back here to Philadelphia. Flacco to who? No, who, Chase to, Daniel. Oh, Chase Daniel. I, uh, okay. Not Flacco. Ch- oh. Chase Daniel has. Yeah, well, a lot of wide receiver movement. Um, okay, now I, I get to. I somebody has to explain to now. I've said this many times on this show that I have no idea how Bill O'Brien has a job. <laughs> when he lost that last playoff game, the vein how, in your neck is how, coming out. How <laughs> many times did I text you going, "He's got to be fired this week"? No, and I have no interest they, in the Texans at all. They traded their star. They traded potentially the best wide receiver in the game for a beaten down running back and, and a second round nothing. pick. 
and a second round pick. Not even a first round pick. They have gotten rid of and Clowney then he, and then and badmouth the they, guy. They've gotten rid of Clowney and Hopkins and not gotten one first round pick out of it. So I, and I, then Stefan Diggs went to Buffalo no, no, we're, for we're four not, picks, including not, a first rounder. I know, but we're not getting off this this quickly. Oh, I'm going to let you get back to that. Because what I don't understand now is okay, so he made this horrible trade. And then he decided to double down and show what a genius he was by bad-mouthing the guy who, by all accounts, by his teammates, was a good guy. Now, if you're a coach, what you don't want to do when you trade somebody, and by the way, when you're the coach and the general manager, is to trade a popular player and then bad-mouth him so that the rest of the players on the team no longer have what little respect you had from them. So you don't approve, Jeff. <laughs> Penn State Penn State skated went by getting rid of him when they got oh, rid of him. Oh god. Uh other big moves. Anything else surprise you that happened? Uh Mari Cooper gets a hundred million dollars from the Cowboys. I don't Dak, know how they're gonna pay him. How about everybody. Dak Prescott getting the franchise tag? Gonna be a happy quarterback there. He says he's happy. Okay, yeah, we'll see. I do think that the Bills are now the team to beat in the, for the first time other in the last decade and a half. There is another team that is going to be the favorite going into the season, which is the Bills, to win the AFC. So who's going to be New England's quarterback? New England's quarterback? Yeah. Well, all they have right now is Jared Stidham. <laughs> I, I guess they could get um, James James Winston. Winston to New England. Oh, can oh you my God. Bill there Bill is Belichick. no way. I can't see that happen. Bill no Belichick way. could. The first time Jameis throws his first pass for an interception, the hoodie will not appreciate that. All right. Well, I need to it. get my blood pressure down, so why don't we take a break, and then when we come back from the break, we got some <laughs> You're going to talk about the talk. process, which yeah. will totally keep right, That's right. Blood down. pressure will be way up after Stick that. with us. we got some basketball talk. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The A Fatty Clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined. To overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A Fatty on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. I found it funny that going on a break, you said that you needed to calm your blood pressure, and then you're going to talk about the Sixers in the process. Yeah. Uh, how's, how's that going to work out for you? The Sixers in the process? I think we all know how it's working out, don't we? Do you, you're, a basket, not. you're a basketball guy. You have your yeah. tickets. What's the sport that you miss the most right now? Basketball. Well, no. Basketball now, only because I haven't gotten what I'm waiting for in the next week, which is opening day is a week and a half away, two weeks away. What do you think of the idea of and, having and opening day on uh, at the All-Star Game? I'm hoping it's way before that. My, 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 my hope is that Memorial Day comes and we have baseball because it's something, I just think we all need to get back to some semblance of normal. We have to do it responsibly, but you know, if, when it's appropriate to do it, of yeah, course. Yeah, but it's you know, it, walk, walking around, going to stores, all of this stuff is is just crazy. But you know, uh, it would be nice to have the Sixers, but Ben Simmons wouldn't be playing right now, and we would pro all probably be pulling our hair out. But we have plenty to talk about when it comes to that, because we have the author of Tanking to the Top, Bleacher Report, <laughs> NBA writer, your own Weitzman. Thank you so much for taking a little bit of time to join us. Congratulations on the book coming out this it's week. A feel good story. A feel good story. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, it's always my dream to put out a book during a pandemic. So I'm glad I got to accomplish that. About Sam Hinkie and the process. I'm sure exactly. that was always what you dreamed about. 
Uh, exactly. It, it's it's interesting. I wasn't sure what to expect when um, Jeff originally showed me the book idea. I wasn't sure whether it was going to be a, a technical book or a, a management book. Um, it, it seems like it's more about the business of basketball and the personalities and politics than it is necessarily the other things. How did you decide you wanted to write about this? And is it what you thought when you originally had the idea for the book? Did it come out that way you intended? Um, absolutely not, which I'm actually happy about, right? I guess that's a good thing, right? Because it means you learn something new along the way. But no, when I like, so the way, the way I got to this book is I, I cover the NBA for Bleach Report in New York. Um, I'm a quote unquote national writer, if, which means I have to write stories that a national audience would find interesting to do that. I had to leave New York because the, uh, the Knicks weren't cutting it. So I would start going to Philadelphia, um, semi-regularly around 2017, 2018. I was around them during the playoffs and uh yeah i thought it would be a good book idea but it's funny so like you mentioned is it what i thought for the way it works and i don't i'm not gonna go too deep into this but you know you write you come up with an idea you write a proposal the proposal gets pitched to publishers that get the book you know um if you look at my proposal and what i ended up writing completely different like not even, not, not even close like i kind of thought i was going to be more moneyball-esque around Stan hinky and that kind of thing and it ended up being more no yeah like you said the backroom politics and the way I like to kind of think about it is like, I hope, and I found this illuminating for myself, right? That I think it's a book about like how the NBA works, right? Just how well, everything that goes on behind the scenes that leads to the product we see on the court. Now, what did you, you say this is the way the NBA works for, for the other teams in the NBA. They're hoping this is not how <laughs> it works for them. <laughs> what, what was it about what the Sixers did that was so unique and, if anything, caught the NBA, other front offices off guard. You know, it's funny, right? No, the, it, it is funny, right? So this is, but the Sixers turned this up to an extreme. And, like, you know, I'm going to say, it's hard to explain. Something about the whole process just drove everyone and everyone associated just, like, mad, right? It just created, like, such strong, um, divergent opinions and factions. And it's, like, almost, like, political, right? The idea that just, you know, to rival different factions and just can't agree on anything um and yeah no it was it's really interesting it's like the sixers i guess it's the idea that they went deeper because you know, rebuilding or i'll even say right tanking is not new like same thing he wasn't the first person to say hey you know drafting it's getting a topic is a good idea we'll do that for a year he just took it a little further than everyone else and he is also a bit of a polarizing figure you know unique but it's like you know he could he could be both kind and open-minded and he's obviously brilliant but he could also be a little cold and has some tunnel vision and rigid in his ways um which is fascinating and so you know you have all these different opinions about him and i think you combine all of that and it just creates this whole storm you you describe a lot of examples with with sam hinky about um you know him alienating agents um who didn't release veterans because he wanted picks uh, opposing gms thought he was always trying to you know take the most of everything do you think he realized that he was burning bridges? Because it, it seemed like he was well aware that yeah. tanking would be controversial. Uh, you have an anecdote about him talking to Jason Richardson, which I found hilarious in the book. So I was just wondering your take on him and if you could tell the story about uh, what Sam Hankey did to try and find dinner. <laughs> so, yeah, so, right, so, yeah, I'll answer. So I'll give you an anecdote then because your question's a great one, right? So, yeah, so... After the Drew Holiday trade, right, which in 20, was it 2013, the 2013 draft, um, that sort of set off, you know, 
became very obvious what direction the Sixers were going in, and Jason Richardson was one of the uh, lone remaining veterans on the team, so not angrily, but just, you know, him and his manager scheduled a meeting with Hinky to sort of come in and talk to him and see what was in store and what, you know, he had in plan and all that stuff. And the meeting goes about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and they're heading out, and Hinky goes, do you have any good restaurant recommendations? And they give him one, and he says something along the lines of, I need a, uh, I hope they have a back door because I'm going to have to sneak out because everybody in the city is going to hate me. Um, <laughs> which is hilarious. So it, he was keenly aware. His idea was, so in terms of the fans, he kind of felt like, you know, I'm going to save them from themselves. Like, I know, we, I know what they want. They know what they want. They're just not aware of the best way to get it, right, the championship. They right. just don't understand the best way to get it. I'm going to get it. You know, I'm going to kind of, again, save them for themselves, I'll get it, and then it'll be all okay, right? Um, and he, I think he kind of assumed, and probably naively, right, like that the work would speak for itself, that that would be all that would matter. So, again, that means in terms of his dealings with the fans, in terms of his dealings, like, with agents, like, well, you know, there's, someone explained it to me that, you know, the bet he was making was that, okay, so maybe Agent X isn't happy about the way Sam Hinkie, you know, squeezed him on a contract extension for, you know, random eighth man. And the agent could decide, and you know, certain agents did make decrees, like, we will not deal with Sam Hinkie ever again. Um, but the Sam Hinkie bet was that, okay, but say they have Superstar X, and they're really good in three years. Is Superstar X not going to come to us because the agent's annoyed about something that happened four years ago? I don't think so, right? You think they're going to just all work itself out and pay off, people would move on. Um, and, and, I mean, clearly he was wrong about that. Oh, he was definitely wrong about that. The the relationship with Scott O'Neill I found really interesting. You you title that chapter The Coup, and yeah. you, you talked about them having a tenuous relationship from the start, and, and you give the anecdote about uh, Scott O'Neill launching the marketing campaign in 2015 as sort of a, a brush fire moment. Can you talk about the Hinky relationship and, and where things went south from the standpoint that this team seemed to be behind the idea at the start and then did not like the the feedback negatively that they were getting about it as it went forward. For sure. I always think, right, some people who don't follow this as closely, like Hinky gets labeled as the architect for the idea, and that's right, but I think people underestimate how much ownership not only bought in, but how much they wanted this, right? Like the example I gave is, so if Hinky's the architect, if I'm renovating a house, if I hire an architect, like he's carrying out my vision in a way, right? Like it's not like we're working separately. So for sure, so Hinky came in, this was, this was not, this was radical, but it was a collaborative thing. Everyone was on board. Everyone was aware of what direction that he was going to take things and the team was going to go. But then a couple of things happened. One, for so ownership standpoint, you know, it's easy to say, it's easy to say you're into something. And then when you hear the criticism from opposing owners, like, you know, Mark Lazary, the owner of the Bucks, and the, you know, it's simple fans don't like coming out to see bad teams, right? So, you know, they're, Billionaire buddies own teams aren't happy. The league office isn't happy for the obvious reasons. And you know the funny quote Josh Harris said last year at Sloan. You're on. You're a little. You're a little muffled, by the way. If you could just, uh, I want to make sure everybody hears the story because I think it's an awesome story. Uh, oh, I apologize. Sorry about that. No Sorry problem. That. Just want to let you, you know. Be okay now. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Um, what's it called? So yeah. So Josh Harris said at Sloan last year. Um, you know, we own a $2 billion chemical company. Nobody cares about it. Um, but everyone has an opinion about the Sixers starting lineup. So, you know, you start realizing that, like, the owners, I don't think they realize how much, why well, a phrase like this, like, people care, right? They care what people think. So you have that going on. And Scott O'Neill, who's the CEO of the Sixers, he, um, 
he start you know it becomes difficult to sell or market a team that's losing no matter how many how hard you try and so you- Scott O'Neill also was somebody who wanted to uh, who always wanted to say and have a say in basketball decision so he puts in this marketing campaign in 2015 and Michael Carter Williams <laughs> is one of the guys in there and uh, it's right before the trade deadline and then the campaign comes out and Michael Carter Williams gets traded two days later and O'Neill was pretty upset um, there's a few other examples in there about you know. O'Neill pitching StubHub to sponsor the Sixers and their jerseys and pitching them on a timeline that, you know, by 2017 will be good when Sam Hankey would never agree to timelines and, you know, O'Neill wasn't. Like, I asked the StubHub CEO, what did O'Neill say about Sam Hankey? The StubHub CEO says, I never heard that name before. I don't know who that is. So it's just a kind of telling example. You did have, uh, Scott didn't seem to want to talk to you. A lot of the Sixers didn't, which sort of surprised me they didn't want to shape the story more, but didn't surprise me that they didn't want the story out. Um, but you did have a line, Sam did it to himself. Someone had to take yeah. a hit. Um, yeah, where did that come from? Um, yeah, so you're right. he didn't talk to me, um, but I introduced myself. I was in Detroit. I was around the team last year, um, and we were in Detroit, and I introduced myself and told him what I was doing, and I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew. I thought by my face, but he was aware that the book was written. Um you know, and I told him, you know, Scott O'Neill, if you go on, like, oh, Sixers Twitter, right, Sam Hinkie fan, Process fan, Sixers Twitter, um, Scott O'Neill is kind of like, people had a feeling or know that he was not a Hinkie fan. And so I told him, I said, you know, it's kind of funny, you're sort of the, uh, the boogeyman Process fan. And he goes, well, Sam did it to himself. Someone had to take the hit. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, was one of, journalistically, you know, you clearly identify yourself as a journalist. Obviously, what I was doing, and we never really spoke again. He kind of turned me down a bunch of times. Um, but yeah, I, I immediately, as I was walking away, I immediately uh, took out my phone, drafted an email, and sent that line to myself. And I knew that was I knew that was going in. You talked a little bit about Twitter there. Uh, we had another incident with Twitter with with the guy <laughs> who took over. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the Colangelos and how that how that happened that they took over and and then what happened with Colangelo and his Twitter account? Yeah, well, the Twitter account, I'll tell you this, right, with a uh, try explaining for a fact checker that, like, when unknowns, when it's uncone sources is a name, because it's like the typo was his typo and it's not supposed to be unknown, and <laughs> try explaining to a book fact checker how that needs to stay. Like, that, writing that chapter and just putting it all together was one of the strangest, um, one of the strangest, like, I'll call it, week or two of my, you know, writing life. It was just, it's like, what am, what am I doing here? What am I, what am I looking at? Um, but the Colangelo's taking over. Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating is that, like, Hinky was open to the idea. So Jerry comes in, everyone, we, you know, people know that story. Jerry comes in, he wants to have a co-GM ship, right? Which, I guess that's the phrase, I don't know. Two GMs working together, reporting to Jerry. Hinky wasn't so enthralled with that, understandably so, but he was, open-minded, and they even talked to uh, Danny Ferry, who was somebody who Hinky had a kind of a strong, profe- you know, res- professional respect for, and Danny Ferry and Brett Brown knew each other from their Spurs days. Brett thought it could help Hinky a little bit. He was big on that. He was trying to help Hinky stay there. Ferry and Hinky spent a lot of time going over things like org charts and kind of looking at, okay, who's actually going to be in charge, who's not, who makes the call. Understandably so. And while all this is going on, um, Brian's trying to get the Brooklyn Nets job. He ends up getting passed over for that. Um, Hickey and Ferry are taking too long, and when that happens, Brian comes in. Brian is hired by the Sixers, and you know they tell they tell Sam he can stay on to work with the coach GM with Brian. But pretty much like I don't know if there's three people in the room, two of them are family members, right? Are you really going to have a say? It's not really <laughs> yeah, you're not exactly sitting at family dinner for that one. Exactly. 
And then so you write about it, about sort of how Burner Gate developed and uh, how Brian Colangelo was out in public when the Ringer story came out, how he yeah. handled it. I was curious, though, with Colangelo going at the time that he did, you have a lot in the book about Brett Brown, and it sort of comes out that, that he doesn't really have much disciplinary control over the team, whether you look at Nerlone's Noel or, um, you know, Jaleel Okafor or some of the other anecdotes that you have in there. Do you think that Brett Brown would have still been the coach if Brian Colangelo was still the GM? Because I, I feel uh, like the vacuum at the top there at that time meant they had to keep Brett because they needed some continuity in basketball operations. I would agree with that, right? I think Brett, and this is this is not meant to be a criticism, right? I think he's benefited from the fact, and well, let me rephrase. I was going to say he's benefited from the fact of all the craziness around him. That's not completely fair because he's had to deal with more, I call, we'll call it shenanigans instead of a four-letter word, right? So he's had to deal with more of that than probably any other head coach, right? Just think of the Colangelo and Hinky stuff and folks and just all of it. So that part is hard. But I do agree with you that, like, when you have all this upheaval, it does help to have some stability and some continuity in there. And I do think it's benefited from that. Um, like, if you if you remember, like, Mike D'Antoni came in. Some people thought he was being you know, brought in to replace Brett Brown. That was my understanding is, you know, that was never made clear to D'Antoni if that was the case. And that was not D'Antoni's goal. But there are people who assume that the Colangelo's try to replace him with uh, one of their supposed guys. So, so you, you mentioned that he's he's the one piece of stability on the team i don't know if the stability is so good though i mean we, we have a situ- <laughs> we, we have a situation here where where you know even recently after your book was written uh you have jj reddick having jimmy butler on his podcast yeah. saying he didn't know who the bleep was in charge and, and you have a chapter in your book about markel fultz that's a that's this is not the bleep bin t- kid we drafted way to way to so censor yourself there, i did Jeff. censor myself so so what is it about what what did you see and what did you hear about Brett Brown that even though he's the leader and that he's the coach that he's really not the leader and he doesn't seem to be in charge? Yeah, it's a great question. Part of it I think goes back to, you know, and we see it in the league like Kenny Atkinson's the example I point to a lot because that just happened where these guys who come in for the re re you know the rebuild stage often don't make it to the next stage, right? Um, and I think part of it so when Brett came in, I think he made some mistakes you know, like in terms of Nerlens Noel was allowed to get away with some stuff. It was he didn't benefit. Hinky did not. You know, Hinky was not a big voice either. Hinky kind of figured, I'm going to stay, leave the on court stuff to you. We're going to stay separate. He thought that was important because essentially they had different goals, right? Hinkie's you had, you had the Okafor gun night. incident too at that time. Right, okay. that was later. Right, exactly. And some of these and Hinky. And so I understand where Hinky was coming from. It's like I Brett needs to. You know, head coaches have to try to win every game. That's not exactly my goal. There has to be a little line divide between us. That was intentional. Um, so Brett was thrown out. You know, he was kind of left to on his own on an island with that stuff. No one ever backed him, and he never. You know, when once it starts with Noel, then Joel Embiid comes in, and there's context about why Joel started. You know, having I'll say acting up. That's I hate that phrase. I don't know what the better phrase is, but you know, in the it was in the in in a you know with the uh, excuse me the backdrop of his brother having been killed in a horrific accident, right? And that's Joel's rookie year. Joel comes back and he. I think he later even said he was depressed, right? And he, he starts acting up and, you know, he's putting on the weight. We all know the Shirley Temple stories and stuff like that. <laughs> They're having meetings to say for everyone to tell, all the staff to tell Brett that, you know, Joel's not listening to any of them. It's like, it's hard. It's a hard thing because how are you supposed to 
you know, how do you get a 22-year-old, how do you control that person? First of all, if he's grieving. Second of all, at a certain point, it's like it's on the players too. And, like, I get asked this a lot. I don't know what the why. I don't know what's missing. It's hard to say, right? It's like an it factor type thing. Part of it is it's one of those things that's hard to explain. Part of it is you need – I go back to, like, the Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich example where Popovich always says, you know, Timmy, let, let me coach him. That kind of set everything else up. Joel, for good name, like Joel has not really been that example of a star, right? He doesn't, he's not the same way. And Brett is non-confrontational. And so that stuff goes on and it goes on. And Simmons comes in and Brett and Simmons know each other a little bit from back. I mean, there's a family relationship and Brett's a little bit non-confrontational with him about the shooting. And, you know, these things start snowballing and all of a sudden it's just, you know, a lack of accountability inside. So it's like, it's all the things that's hard to describe or pinpoint exactly what it is. And it's not like, like, I don't believe that Bobby Knight-style disciplinarian is good or useful, you know, or something that should be wanted. But it's just that there's just that feeling, that ability to kind of get guys to buy in and listen that the Sixers and Brett have really never had, I don't think. You, you had a quote in the book by Brett Brown, um, we're all going to get fired because this guy's not in shape. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can, can you talk about some of the struggles there? And at the same time, I enjoyed he almost wasn't a sixer. You told a story about his workout in Cleveland and the trash talk to Dave Griffin that had me laughing. So can we talk about the arc of Joel Embiid from him then becoming a sixer when they didn't really expect it at at the time and then going to the arc of now they feel like they're going to lose their job because of him? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) welcome to coaching a superstar in the NBA, right? So it's... uh... Yeah, and with Cleveland, Cleveland had the number one pick that year. Um, Embiid, and I hadn't know either I didn't remember this or I didn't realize, but, like, that was the year Wiggins ended up going number one, um, and Embiid and Wiggins are teammates. But looking back and talking to people, and Embiid was, apparently it was very known in the Kansas basketball community um, among scouts that, like, Wiggins is good, Embiid is next level. Like, and and Bill Self, that. their coach, had told Cleveland that when they were yeah. trying to interview him for the job, correct? Correct. Yeah, they they were spending a lot of time around him. That was right before they hired David Blatt. Um, and he told them, you know, not like he was, you know, he wasn't criticizing Wiggins. It was just the idea that like Embiid's a different level. He was right on, right? Um, so they so he works up at Cleveland. He has this great workout. He's bullying the assistant coaches in the post. He, they tell him to go take some threes, and like hits he hits seven or eight in a row. And after each one, it's like swoosh. Yes, you have to take me. Swoosh. How can you not take me? I'm so good. Swoosh. Just talking trash to Dave Griffin yeah. every it's basket great. that he hits. <laughs> and they love it. Like, not, it was in a, in a, like, I'll say tasteful. That's not the proper word. But, you know, they loved it. They ate it all up. They thought it was great. They had dinner with him. They loved him. They wanted him number one. They said it was the greatest workout they've ever seen. And then the next morning, he wakes up and his foot is killing him. And, you know, it's discovered that he has a fracture in his foot that he sort of suffered, not sort of, that he suffered a few weeks earlier during the workout and was never diagnosed. Um, the Cavaliers decide they need a win now, so whatever that means. So they take Wiggins. I guess it kind of worked <laughs> out for them because they flipped Wiggins for Kevin Love and then right. LeBron came back. That's an interesting what if. But then, yeah, so Embiid comes back, and pretty early on, I mean, Embiid, pretty early on, Embiid realizes how powerful a superstar the NBA can be. And he's not wrong, right, in power to him, but we've seen it last. Like, you know, being in peak condition has never been a priority of his and we saw last year down the stretch of the season like that anecdote you mentioned that was in excuse me that was in Miami before like I think it was the second third one of the final regular season games of the year and indeed that's you remember he was having those knee issues and 
that was dealing with the stomach bug already then. That might have been later. But just he was laboring down the stretch, and it was very obvious. Um, and there's a meeting, and Brett goes in with the medical staff and the training staff. Pretty much says, if Joel's not getting in shape, we're all going to get fired, you know, with some more um, colorful language. Cause that's, that's one of the things I learned about Brett. Like, all right. So, so, having gone, so having gone through your own process of, of researching the process <laughs> and talking to these people, if you now had to build your own basketball team, would you ever recommend to someone to go through this process? Yeah, it's. I mean, so the answer is like, yeah, it's, this is, you know, Hanky gets labeled as tanking guy, but like this was the best path, right? He knew this was the best way. Like he knew, and this was the math he did. You know, if you look at NBA champions, they have superstars. What's the best way to get a superstar? It's through the draft. It's changed a little bit now. Um, like they flattened the odds a little bit in response to the Sixers process. So they've made it, you know, they've hurt them. The math hurts is not as friendly in terms of if you finish with one of the worst records, you're less likely to get a top pick. Also, I find, I think one of the interesting changes is that, um, and this was sort of set off by LeBron, like superstars become available now. They move teams. They used to not really change teams. Now these guys change teams pretty frequently and contracts are shorter and guys are on the, teams are on the clock always. And, you know, I just saw whether Paul George can he end up – whether he ends up in, like, re-signs with Oklahoma City, which sign, which is, like, a sign of hope for all small markets. And then one year later, ask for a trade, <laughs> which is a sign of hope for that, you know, even if guys are under contract, they're still available, right? So right. it just shows you there are other ways to get stars. So I don't know if the math is quite in favor of going on a three-, four-year teardown like this. One or two for sure – It'd be interesting to see, like, at a, at a certain point, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't be worth it, I think. The book is Tanking to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the most audacious process in the history of professional sports. Your own, thanks so much for the time. We wish you the best of luck with the book and encourage everybody to go out and get it. Thank you for having me on, guys. I uh, truly appreciate it. Have a great one. Jeff, it was fascinating, that book. <laughs> it really There is. were so I, I, many inside stories. Well, that's what's amazing. Look, we've all lived through it here, right? And, and, and but the, I, there were fans, so many but, things I didn't well, that, know. That's the thing, is that when you when you read a book like this, you, you learn things that, that you had no idea were going on behind the scenes, which, by the way, only makes it more frustrating. I was going to say, right? it doesn't make me feel better about yeah, the process. I mean, I mean, I look, we're going to have on an author in a couple weeks who wrote a book called The Wax Pack, and he tells stories about like Dwight Gooden in the book. I won't tell it now, but but I didn't know about, and I grew up up there in that time, and it's just kind of fascinating to, to hear the inside baseball, or in this, guy, in this case, the inside basketball. It, it was uh, very interesting. I could see why the Sixers don't like it, though. <laughs> I could definitely see why they are well, not What I don't understand is how ownership was that naive. They own another sports franchise. I don't think they were naive. I don't think they liked the criticism. I think they knew it well, would come. I think that, they just didn't like it. But see, that's what I don't think they knew it was going to come. I don't I, like to make comments like you can own a fifty billion dollar business and nobody cares about the cost of propylene and everybody wants to to decide who's going to be in your starting lineup. Come on, that's obvious. Everybody wants to do that. That's part of sports. That's why fantasy sports is so popular because everybody wants to be the armchair coach, the armchair general manager. Did they postpone your fantasy baseball league draft? Yes, they did. All right. So, did yeah. you figure out how you were? No, draft I didn't. I just figured I wouldn't them? pester you until it was time. Okay, so you'll save me. Yeah, we got about two minutes left. Um, the NCAA is not releasing brackets, Jeff. And in the AP rankings, Rutgers is on the outside looking in. That's right. Why do people do this? To you, me? You're on the bubble in a, in a, in a tournament that doesn't. I happen. can't even get a fake bracket in. 
with Rutgers. Oh, suck it up. I don't get it. You but got another f- 41 years for them. You to can make listen the here on 610 ESPN, though. Westwood run, One is replaying classic tourney games here on the station. Mike, they can listen here, correct? Yes, tonight at 8 o'clock, we're actually going to have a very historical game from two years ago when the first ever 16 UMBC knocked off Virginia Ooh, in the first round. It's been fun. Uh, I listened to the game last, I think last night was the Georgetown game. No, last uh, night was uh, Michigan uh, State, Indiana State, Magic against Bird in yeah, the 79 championship. I listened to some of that last night, uh, and so it's... I, I was watching NBA TV the other night, and they had the the Bulls Blazers NBA Finals on. That was such a great. Are you watching these classic things? Yeah, because it's it, but starting, it's got like I'm not going to watch a, the Sixers from like, earlier this season. Vito, this will excite you as a Flyers fan. NBC Sports Philly tonight is going to air the Stadium Series game against the Penguins, and then starting Monday, NBCSN is going to have Hockey Week, reliving the top NHL games and moments of the last ten yeah, years. Yeah, but a Stadium Series yeah, game no, isn't isn't that big a deal. If you want to, no, that was fun. It was the overtime game that they beat the Penguins. It was actually I don't know if you guys watch. watched. NBC at all this week, the NBC Philadelphia, they, they actually had played back the Brooklyn series from last year, the first round series. Yeah, it's, some of it it's makes it more be frustrating. Playoffs, unless it unless it's really old and then you can go back and, and appreciate players like like they had they've had now a series on the, the ninety two Olympic dream team. And you go back and you realize every single one well, now they all made it into the Hall of Fame as a stars. team. But they all made it individually except for one player. Can you name the player? Christian Leitner. Bingo. That's right, Every, and you didn't even tell me that in advance. Every, you that, didn't. That's you true. were. You tried I to didn't. get me there. Yeah. You didn't. You did not give that me any very, heads up. That was very impressive. That's going to be it. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>